Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel and entertainment journalist. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today is a very special episode. It's an unusual one because in a way it's both a guest episode and a destination special celebrating all things about the island of Ireland. I'm joined today by the Irish DJ broadcaster and writer Annie Mack. Now, Annie's been in the news a bit recently because after 17 years as one of BBC Radio 1's most loved DJs, she has left the station. And the video of her playing her final song went viral online. I think simply because she's such a legend in the industry and a big part of the lives of so many music lovers. So this farewell was a huge deal. We talk about how she became a DJ and presenter and her illustrious career and what that involved. And then her Travel Diaries chapters are all focused on destinations across Ireland. The place where she grew up, travels back to as much as she can and knows so well. And then later, I'm joined by travel writer and island expert Aoife O'Riordan, who shares some really brilliant tips. In particular, some amazing foodie recommendations and a hotel that I'd never heard of on an Irish island that I'd also never heard of that has gone straight to the top of my hotel wish list. I mean, Aoife's husband was actually the producer of Normal People, you know, the show we all watched last summer. So she gives us a little insight into the making of that too. There is so much to cover today, so let's get started. Here's Annie Mack. Annie Mack, welcome to the Travel Diaries and to this inspiring Ireland destination special. It's a total honour to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. I'm always happy to talk to you and happy to talk about Ireland, so it's a good day. Great. Well, I mean, it's safe to say that Ireland must have inspired you in many ways I mean yeah it's don't really know where to start with that like it's Irishness especially when you don't live there becomes magnified and really becomes part of your identity in in a much bigger way than I think if you stayed there because you know as anyone who leaves the country that they were born in you find yourself clinging on to um, anything that can help you figure out who you are in the world you know and um, Mm then my Irishness means a lot to me because of that, I've lived away from Ireland longer than I've actually lived in Ireland now. I crossed that threshold about a year ago. And uh, especially in the wake of kind of, you know, the context of, of a pandemic where we were stuck where we were, I really realised how much my Irishness meant to me and, and how much need I have as a person to go to Ireland in order to be happy. So I've been thinking a lot about it recently. So we're going to uncover your Irish travel diaries across five chapters. But first, I just thought it'd be great to hear a bit more about life growing up in Dublin. I mean, one of the world's most vibrant cities. What was it like spending your youth there? So I grew up in, uh, I think I was the first baby to be born in my housing estate, actually. And that's my local claim to fame. Um, And it was very... Um, kind of normal housing estate in the suburbs of South Dublin, um, all pebble dash, semi-detached houses. um, And it's kind of set um, 
not right under, but just kind of like in the valley underneath the Dublin mountains. So from our back garden, you can see uh, Ticknock, which is a, a famous mountain in the Dublin mountains. So I was the youngest of four. My memories are very much that kind of idyllic upbringing in a housing estate. So those that, those worlds where you're just outside all day, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, my mum would call us in for bath time or dinner time, and we would have been outside all day playing with the neighbours. My next door neighbour was my best friend in the world. Where everyone knows everyone. Yeah, everyone knows everyone. It's very, it's very. It felt very safe. Also, being the youngest of four, you know, having big brothers and a big sister, you have the security of them, you know. So, mm. yeah, it was it was a really lovely childhood. We, you know, we didn't travel that much within Ireland. I think we had the odd summer holiday down in Wexford coast. Um, but most of our holidays were spent going to my mum's mum's house, uh, which was in Northern Ireland. So I spent a lot of time driving up and down the East Coast and, and going up to a place called Rosharkin in County Antrim in rural Northern Ireland. Um, right. So I have a lot of nice memories there. So that was your earliest childhood travel yeah. memory in Ireland, would you say? Yeah, so earliest mm-hmm. travel, earliest childhood memory of travel would be squished up in the back seat with my brothers and sister all elbowing each other, uh, driving, it was about a three-hour drive up north, east coast, through Newry and around Belfast and then into Antrim and Risharkin. And my, my grandmother, Granny Rachel, uh, lived on a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, basically, what was the landscape like around, like passing from from Dublin up into Belfast yeah, and beyond? It, it it was just um it was just green, like it was just green rolling hills. Um, I have memories of feeding cows, standing on gates and feeding cows. I remember the feeling of their tongue. It was really rough tongues that they had, um, <laughs> feeding them grass. And I remember running around the fields and climbing trees and getting chased by a bull across a field with my brothers. Just um, amazing kind of bucolic adventures um, where we were kind of allowed to roam free. So there's a, a real feeling of freedom mm-hmm. being there, mm-hmm. you know, um, of there being kind of no end and no beginning to where you could and couldn't go. Yes, there was farmers' fields that we didn't know, but we just went there anyway. And um, yeah, compared to Dublin, where yeah, just you know, our initial street was safe, but you know, there's there is you know, you couldn't go further. You can go, couldn't go into the monastery at the bottom of the road. Couldn't really go into the school. You couldn't go as far as the local park. So there was you know there was a boundaries. So yeah, I've got really nice memories of of Northern Ireland, and that are mostly just kind of rural, based on fields and animals and soda bread and yeah, my grandmother. That's lovely. And of course, Dublin is known for its like thriving music scene. It's one of the things that I love about visiting Dublin. Mm. At what point did you know that music was going to play a part in your future? It wasn't until I went to university that I knew that, but I I ha- was kind of surrounded by music. My two biggest brothers and my sister were all they all just played like my house was full of musical instruments my biggest brother played the banjo the mandolin this beautiful instrument called the bazooki which is a cross between a banjo and a mandolin I think uh my other brother played the guitar the piano the accordion my sister was the rebel she was like the Lisa Simpson of the family she played the saxophone in her room she (laughs) rejected traditional Irish music uh she was more into kind of dance music and and pirate radio and that kind of thing and then I played the mandolin and the guitar and a bit of piano 
so it was just like it was just music it was just everywhere and it's and, interesting and, that you were all drawn to like traditional Irish instruments as well I mean I guess it was Ireland so you know it was very normal to to you know that music is, is huge in Ireland like it's I used part to know your heritage yeah. yeah right so my biggest brother was was into it he was really into a band called the Pogues which were you know mm. the Pogues are amazing because they are essentially a a folk punk band so they really embrace Irish tradition and Irish culture but kind of through the lens of like London punk Mm -hmm. so they were you know you had barons on stage and mandolins and banjos and uh, but you also had electric guitars and saxophones and so they they kind of were a fusion I suppose that made trad Irish music really exciting and my brother was both my brothers were mad for them and and, uh, my youth is just all the Pogues albums was just they were just everywhere in my house and um, so they were a big influence kind of subliminally on me, I think, as Big Brothers and Sisters music is, you know, you can't help but mm-hmm. be influenced by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, I started really getting into music when I was in my teens and I was discovering myself and I was discovering black music, you know, bands like Massive Attack and um, and also techno. I remember getting the Left Field album and Goldie's mm-hmm. album Timeless, like these really alien, strange sounds that I'd never heard before that represented cultures that I'd never experienced before um West Indian cultures and you know dub and reggae and and all of yeah. that biz and it just felt so exciting um and something that I wanted to learn more about and and that is kind of that I think I remember like hearing that kind of music and just being like whoa okay there's a whole world out there that I need to know you know music kind of opens doors in that way yeah, and obviously it just sparked a curiosity of of knowledge that then continues to this day in terms of discovery of of music. Yeah, exactly. So music has this way of like um, it's it's kind of like the Hansel and Gretel leaving breadcrumbs. You know, you do, you discover yeah. one thing and then that opens a door to another to a label where you discover more, which opens a door to like a bass player in a band who's amazing. So you go and see what else they've done, and it's just this dot joining process, but. Uh, I kind of didn't start collecting records really until I was in university. Um, and, and up to that point, I'd really wanted to be an actress. Right. And I didn't get into the course that I wanted to go. There was a course in Trinity College, which is the University of Normal People, for all those people who aren't Irish. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that in was Dublin. like the big drama course. And I had no real experience of doing drama, like apart from being in a school play. And I just totally flopped the audition, totally. Oh, no, um, and, and was so angry with myself and ended up going to Queen's as, as a kind of, just like as a, oh, well, I don't know what else to do. I'll just go there because my mum went there, Queen's University it's, in and Belfast. And Queen's is in Belfast, yeah. Yeah, so. And your mum went there. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I, I went there and then ended up having the most amazing time, like this, these kind of three transformative years where I, discovered club culture and ended up working in a nightclub discovered BBC Radio 1 very significantly because that's not something that you you could have got easily in the Republic of Ireland at the time Mm. Uh, so kind of being open to these DJs like Marianne Hobbs and John Peel and Joe Wiley and Sarah Cox and just again that was that was the first time actually that I thought music could be a career Um, because DJing was something I wanted to do, but it was just not for me. It was like, I'd never seen a female DJ in my life. It was like, that's got to be some sort of a hobby. Yeah. Whereas when I heard women on the BBC radio playing good music, I was like, okay, maybe this could be the place. 
Mm, that's so interesting. So chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with in Ireland. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that might be Belfast when you were at university, was it? Yeah, I think it probably was. Like Belfast had, yeah, it had such a profound effect on me because to me, it really opened up my perspective on the island of Ireland. Having been to Northern Ireland countless times, I'd never been to this side of Northern Ireland. I've never seen the city. I'd never seen youth culture. And I'd never really befriended anyone my own age in Northern Ireland until that point. Mm -hmm. I met some amazing people from Derry, which is still one of my favorite cities in the world. And uh, just, yeah, just kind of made some incredible friendships. And there's something about the people in Belfast, especially, you know, they have all the kind of warmth and conviviality of Irish people, but there's a kind of dryness and a darkness to their humour. There's like a deeper sense of black, obviously because of their reality, you know, and their past. Mm. Um, Mm. But I loved their sense of humour and I felt very welcome there. And um, and just yeah, just had the most amazing time, and 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 it was also you know that transformation from being a child into an adult, like learning how to live by myself and learning how to keep money and you know um, pay bills and just get jobs and and and, and survive basically. Yeah, um, yeah, and I I've never been to Belfast, so for somebody who would be visiting for the first time like how or or planning a trip there how would you I suppose describe it as a city and how to to experience it in its best light I suppose I mean it's it's uh it's a beautiful city it's a beautiful size and again it's surrounded by mountains um so you've got that I I love any cities on the sea I love Barcelona I love New York Mm. I love Dublin uh, Miami like Belfast is like that when you have the sea or, or water kind of nearby um it kind of gives it a different feel I think um and then there's mountains around the edges and um I mean it, it's it's fascinating in so many ways you know you can do things like the troubles tours where you get into a black cab and get tri- tri- driven all around um and shown all the murals and shown all the the peace wall and all all the kind of the history of the troubles of Belfast um there's amazing pubs. There's an amazing art scene, um, like contemporary art scene as well. And there's brilliant music. I mean, when I was there in the late 90s, it was really uh, an amazing place for techno music. There's something about Northern right. Ireland where they go for maybe same reason, same with the humour. They go for the kind of harder edge music. They like it tougher um and uh, a lot of big DJs from around the world would come and play in this club called Shine that I worked at Uh, like some of the best DJs in the world um, would come there and visit there regularly so it had an amazing reputation and I know now still that DJs come there because of the crowd and the actual atmosphere of venues and of gigs in Belfast in Northern Ireland has a reputation for being so intense and brilliant when you're a performer that people want to go back every time they go there. And is that what you've experienced yourself, DJing there? Sure, on both sides. Like I, I was in the crowd for those years as a student. Um, and then afterwards, one of my first gigs back, like when I got my show on Radio 1, one of my first gigs, um, professional gigs that I got asked to do was to go and play Shine, which was a real terrifying moment because uh, that was the place that I'd worked and I'd stamped people's wrists on the way in for years. And it just what felt... a full circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they were so warm and they were so welcoming. And, and I just remember feeling so 
moved by it. And then they asked me to come back and play the last ever show um, at the Mandela Hall, which is where Shine existed for something like 20 years, and play the last Shine in that space. And that was, I think that was in 2018. And that was incredible. Mm. Like that, it, yeah. one of my top 10 gigs ever, I think, was that. Just really? because of the emotional connections to the place and to the people, but also because of the atmosphere. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So you said about becoming a DJ that, you know, it was one of those things that you thought could only really be a hobby. And I mean, it is one of those careers that goes in, you know, with like probably, you know, astronaut and movie star, you know, things that kind of feel pretty unattainable to, you know, the average person growing up in a council estate in Dublin, you know. How did you, or to anyone, I should say, in fact, they feel it's a career that feels like um, a dream career. And how did you make that your reality? How did that come to, to fruition? So, I mean, it was, it was getting the job at Radio 1 that really meant that my DJ career could exist. I was still DJing. I was DJing in a, in a basement club in Camden. Um, mm-hmm. There was no way at that point that I was going to become a name DJ. Like there, there was just I, I don't I don't think there was anyway. It, I I wouldn't have known how to even start. And then I got my radio show, and people were interested because I was playing dance music, and and I think promoters wanted wanted to wanted to book me because of the radio one connection and because the radio show was doing well and was taking off. So it was really having that that really worked for me to be able to go out and play professional gigs. And then off the back of that, I made a name for myself as a DJ and then was able to kind of carry on separately Mm -hmm. of Radio 1. But um, initially at the start, Radio 1 really helped. What was it like your first day hosting your first show in, you know, in being in in that booth and seeing, as you said, all the kind of other DJs and hosts around that you'd grown up listening to? You know, how was that? It was uh, it was absolutely terrifying. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot because obviously I'm I'm leaving Radio One, so I've been trying to yeah. come back and remember those moments and and, and try and just relive everything. Um, but yeah, I remember the first song, and I remember kind of knowing vaguely what I wanted to say, and I just remember the feeling of just just it being so thrilling. Um, what was the first song? It was a playing? song by High Contrast. It was a drum and bass song called Racing Green. This very happy, um, mm-hmm. kind of euphoric, string-laden drum and bass song. And yeah, it was just it was just such a buzz. It was such a buzz. So let's pause there and move on to chapter three, which is your all-time favourite Irish destination. Where would you pick? Yeah. So we've been on holidays um, a good few times to Roundstone, in, which is on the very, very west coast of Ireland uh, in County Galway. And that whole stretch, like along the west coast of Ireland, is um, a thing called the Wild Atlantic Way. And it's mm-hmm. a route that you can drive down and it kind of keeps you as close to the coast as possible. And, you know, it's the most westerly tip of Europe. It's the last point of Europe before the ocean and America on the other side. And uh, you can really feel that when you're there. Um, the weather is wild. It's completely unpredictable. The landscape is very rugged. It's steeped in history. Around uh, Roundstone, around that, that whole coastline, County Clare and County Galway, I don't know, there's a lot of history there. During the Irish famine, it was on. It was to the west coast where all of the Irish people travelled in order to get their boats to America. So there's a kind of sadness to the history um, 
And then there's also beautiful geographical hotspots like the Burren, which is where I went, you know, you go on school tours there in Ireland. It's, it's, it's this like area of kind of rare rock. I should know more about the geographical stuff, but I don't, I wasn't listening on my mm-hmm. school tour, but it's, all, it's also <laughs> a, a place called the Gwailtocht, which is um, a kind of, it's an area where Irish is still spoken, the language of Irish. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know this about Ireland is that, you know, obviously like Wales, it has a native it has a native language called Gaelic and there's still areas where people are fluent in that and as a, as a person in school I used to go on uh, summer camps what we called Irish college where you'd go and live in a house where they spoke Irish somewhere in remote Ireland in the west in the Gael talked yeah. area and you would go and learn Irish every day and sing songs in Irish and have conversations in Irish and it would be like going on a German exchange, but you're literally going in your own country and you're learning your native language. So that was a really special time for me. I did that when I was 13 in the summer once. And I remember being really just struck by the beauty of the area and, and how different it felt to Dublin where I grew up. And then since then, my family have started going back to to, to Roundstone, which is kind of further up the coast in Galway. I just love that whole area. Roundstone is really typical Irish town. It's... Uh, got about eight pubs and one church and a harbour and uh we stayed in various houses around there and there's a beautiful beach called dogs bay awful name great beach mm-hmm. and that is kind of well known for being one of the best beaches in the whole of ireland this like really big, beautiful golden sand yeah. um so yeah i just love that whole that whole the kind of west coast of ireland uh clare and, and galway those two counties is if I was saying to people to go to Ireland, I would say it's a must-see situation. Yeah, yeah def- I mean, that that Wild Atlantic Way is on my travel wish list because, as you say, right. the landscape, I mean, a great place for a road trip, actually, I would, it looks I've like. I've always wanted to do that. Really, I yeah. to take a month and go from Donegal all the way down. It would oh, be amazing. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I, it's interesting, actually, because I've read quite a lot of blogs I, I, because I am actually really hoping to do this trip. And they say, you know, you can't, you can't do it quickly that that whole west yeah. coast there's a lot so much to see and it's big yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You, you might want more than a month yeah I would love more than a month like six weeks because you want to stay a couple of days in all the places exactly and really absorb them mm. how about um a favorite hotel have you stayed in a lot of hotels across Ireland any that particularly come to mind not really, actually, because whenever I go to Ireland, I stay at home or stay oh, yeah, in Airbnb. Yeah, I, I was wondering that, yeah. But there is there is a place that I do stay in a hotel, and that is Dingle, which is a gorgeous little town in County Kerry. So it's, it's a good kind of four or five hours from Dublin, if you fly into Dublin. It's at the kind of mm-hmm. most southwesterly tip of Ireland. Right. Um, and it is uh, a beautiful town, famous for a dolphin called Fungi, who now sadly passed away as if 2020 couldn't get any worse. Oh, um, no. I think it was last year, but um, it's 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 big. It's bohemian. It's full of amazing art and full of amazing music. And it's there that I present an Irish TV show called Other Voices, which yeah. is kind of like a Jules Holland style show, um, but it's all set in a church. This really small little church in the middle of Dingle. And since working there, I've had the most amazing experiences of interviewing artists that, that kind of blow in from all over the world amazing nights out amazing just evenings being moved to tears watching live music 
Yeah. Um, and I always stay, everyone, the staff, all, all stay in the same hotel, which is called Benner's Hotel, which is right in the main street of Dingle. And mm-hmm. uh, so I have many memories of that hotel just as a, a kind of hub of, of, of a place where you meet brilliant people, where you have great pints, where you mm-hmm. eat loads of bowls of chowder and, um, and uh, have many late nights and kind of lock-ins where people are picking up guitars in the foyer and singing until two, three in the morning. Oh, how um, amazing. Just, just really amazing. vibrant, amazing place. Yeah. So Ben is, it's, it's very typical Irish hotel, you know, there's nothing extravagant or very, you know, modern about it. It's just solid. It's a solid hotel. Mm-hmm. Down in that part, the Southwestern tip, you know, how does that differ? Like, in terms of if you were traveling there, your experience of its topography, like what it looks like, what it feels like? It's just beautiful down there. You have the Blaskets, what you call the Blasket Islands. Um, oh, I've the, never heard what, of them. What, what they, They're called locally as the Sleeping Giants. You can see this oh, island right. and it looks like a man who's asleep in the water. Oh. Uh, so wherever you look out, you know, you've got this, this, this visual of those islands. And then it's really rugged. Um, a lot of kind of when you're driving around the coastlines, a lot of kind of big drops and big cliffs and huge rocks coming out of the water. So this this idea of um, very dramatic coastline. And then you have a lot of old stone walls, um, you know, built hundreds of years ago that kind of very loosely split up the fields. And as you say, the weather is so extreme. It can go from dark kind of foreboding weather to just like blindingly beautiful yeah, yeah, t- totally. And you, you know, you became very quickly the most successful female DJ in Europe, and you launched a music festival. You you changed people's lives by breaking them on on the radio and championing new 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 artists and new music, and DJed all around the world. And I imagine some incredible places. On reflection, like you said, you know. By the time this comes out, actually, I think you'll have had your last show on on Radio One. When you're looking back at this legacy that you've left so far, you know what stands out to you as the moment that you feel encapsulates it all, that you feel most proud of. I guess I, I mean I've just as, as I said earlier, I've been trying to remember moments from the past, and, and I was remembering when I got my full-time job at Radio 1, it would have been in 2002, and I was 24 or something like that. And I remember ringing my dad from the desk of the building uh, that I worked in and telling him that I got this job and him crying and me crying because it kind of made that move from Ireland to England like worthwhile, you know, and having worked for kind of two or three years, making F all money, juggling freelance jobs, just just trying to make it work in London um, and not ever knowing it was just it was such a relief so that was a big moment and that was before the fame or that kind of success it was more just stability and security and knowing that you know when when you get a full-time job at the BBC you're set It's it's a great secure place to work so seeing it through my dad's eyes was like she's at the BBC she's gonna be grand now yeah uh so that that was a big moment for me of pride, I guess. Yeah. And then, like, I, I, it's kind of very hard to pick out singular moments. I think um, there's been so so many. Um, there was a weekend 
at the start, like maybe in my late twenties, where I where I kind of did one of my first events, Annie Mac Presents event at Fabric Nightclub in London, mm-hmm. and put on kind yeah. of curated a lineup, and then I did that on the Friday, and then on the Sunday I presented Top of the Pops, and I remember that feeling like crazy, like oh god, wow. I've done this like really underground cool dance music night on Friday and now I'm doing this mainstream TV show on Sunday so Mm -hmm. I remember that feeling quite significant somehow and then um you know shows it doesn't have to be the big ones it doesn't have to be the big fancy interviews it's just doing a show where you get interaction from people and you know that it's really touched them you know, and the music has helped yeah. them and changed yeah. their day or changed their mood or changed the way they think about themselves. The power of music. The power of music. Exactly. Exactly. So chapter four, um, as somebody knows the country so well, can you share with me your Irish hidden gem, a place that you love that maybe my listeners wouldn't know so much about? Sure. So there's a place that we went last year um, called Loch Nafui which I'd never heard of. I literally just did very impulsive, impatient. Oh, that looks like a nice house by a lake. We'll have, we'll give it, we'll give that a lash. Didn't really look into the area or anything. I knew that it was close to where we were coming from. And I thought we could just drive there and stay there and see what it was like. Um, It's, it's very near the border of Galway, but it's in County Mayo and it's in this beautiful, beautiful mountain range that is just stunning. Like Uh. it feels like you're on another planet when you go there. Um, It's really, really remote. There's no houses. There's a couple of sheep, but it's Mm. just these huge dramatic mountains uh, and this kind of road, winding road that runs through it. And then you kind of come over a hill and then you're presented with this huge vista. And in the middle of it is this, is, is this lake. And that is Loch Nafui. And you drive down kind of winding roads, very steep over little rivers and and eventually you get there and and there's only one beach on this lock and it's this golden arc of sand it's so ridiculous it looks like it's man-made it Hmm. doesn't feel like an Irish beach you know there's no pebbles it's just this beautiful golden arc of sand um and then you have this huge freshwater lake surrounded on both sides by mountains that sounds amazing it's mad I was I thought I, I was like am I in some sort of is this what's going on I couldn't believe it and what was mad is when we got there on the first day um there was people there from all different walks of life so there was there was people um that looked like kind of of Arab persuasion who were smoking shisha pipes there was people speaking Polish there was kind of it, it felt like very international the people that were on this beach which made it even more exciting because because you know, we were in such a remote area of Ireland. Right. Added to my Irish travel wish list. Finally, then we are on to the last chapter of your travel diaries. And that is the destination at the top of your travel bucket list in in Ireland. Yeah. So I haven't really spent a lot of time in County Donegal, um, which for those who don't know, is the very top, like uh, northwesterly point of Ireland. Um it's supposed to be, again, really rugged, really beautiful. And I would like to go and have a proper kind of mooch around there and do the whole coast of there. There's um, islands there as well, Aran Moor, that I'd love to explore. And I, I, one of the things I've always wanted to do in Ireland is spend more time on the islands that are off the West Coast. Um, yeah, also, I didn't actually really know that there were that many islands off. So you can go and are they ones that you can stay on? Yeah. Actually, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, so there's um there's big islands off the coast of of County Clare. Um and there's actually this festival that my friend Mary runs. Um, someone who I know from other voices from coming to that. And she, it happens mm-hmm. every two years. It's on an island called Inish Or, and it's a music festival. And so you get the boat over there and just stay on this oh, tiny cool. island. It's called Drop Everything. <laughs> so I would love to do that. I'd love to do that kind of holiday where you can just go, what what feels like a proper adventure, you know, yeah. um, and experience some music as well. Oh, we all need to drop everything and and, and go and right. explore. That sounds wonderful. Listen, thank you so much, Annie. That was just wonderful to be transported to so many places in such a beautiful country. Um, those were your Irish travel diaries. It's been a real honour. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Holly. Thank you. And everyone come to Ireland. You won't regret it. Next up, we're joined by travel writer and Ireland expert, Aoife O'Reardon. Aoife Ariadne, welcome to The Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for joining me today on this Inspiring Ireland special. It's, it's great to speak with you. Thanks so much for having me and inviting me to do it. And, you know, we just obviously heard from Annie Mack about her um, Ireland Travel Diaries. And uh, she, was, she and I were just talking about the Wild Atlantic way the road trip down the west coast and which if you were to do a little pocket of it was there a bit that you would think would be most spectacular well I mean the 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 sort of County Kerry West Cork section would be one of the kind of most spectacular sections but then also the kind of northerly part which would probably be less kind of busy um, would be up around kind of the coast of Donegal which is also equally spectacular in its own different way um I suppose the topography sort of differs in the north very much to the southwest so the southwest is kind of a very dramatic kind of mountains colliding with the sea and lots of little coves and inlets and strands you know the the, the kind of climate down in the sort of southwest is a little bit more temperate and sort of damp so you get these kind of amazing sort of almost tropical gardens in certain little pockets of the the kind of topography so Mm. that's kind of really interesting to kind of come across yeah I'd love to do it and she also mentioned that she was originally planning to study at Trinity College Dublin where normal people is set and was filmed and you have a very special connection to that show oh yes (laughs) yeah well my husband was involved in making that show and he's also in the process of making uh, conversations with friends which is obviously her first book so they're Mm. just in the in the process of filming that at the moment so they've been shooting that um mainly in Belfast actually and also in parts of Dublin in also Trinity is reprising its role again and then yes it is I mean apparently the uh sort of admissions for Trinity rocketed last year when everyone sort of fancied themselves as a real life Marianne and Connell (laughs) no way yeah so funny yeah. So did you um I did you meet the cast? Yeah, I mean we we popped in a couple of times um well, during filming. So yeah, so yeah, yeah we, we we had a little bit, but obviously you know unfortunately none of them have been able to celebrate the great success because they've all been stuck in rooms during COVID. So that was so weird when they yeah I guess and that party's <laughs> been postponed and postponed. But I mean I remember at the time when um their Instagram accounts were like growing by hundreds of thousands by the day and they were getting all this yeah everyone was winning awards and they were just doing their yeah, acceptance speeches really and then yeah. 
Yeah, literally, you know, and uh, so that's been, I think, really surreal because they literally became like overnight sensations. So yeah, yeah, that's like a big career shift. (laughs) Totally. I mean, you have to forgive my curiosity about this. I told you when we were messaging before we started that I am perhaps a what could be deemed a normal people super fan. Yes, but we... <laughs> around. <laughs> so I just did wonder, um, as you know, someone who is like experiencing it, I suppose, by osmosis, did you have a sense or did you both have a sense when it was being made that it was going to be such a phenomenon? I think they, well, I mean, they, you know, obviously because of the, the, the sort of the love that the book has, you know, there's already a kind of an audience there for it. So, um, but yeah, I think they obviously with Daisy and Paul, they knew they had some like really special talent and they just, you know, obviously got on like a house on fire. So, mm. you know, there, it was really special. And I think lots, lots of people who worked on it felt it was special, but I think they didn't really quite appreciate. I mean, it was like a complete moment in time when that which will probably never be repeated in terms of you know yeah. people being at home looking for things to watch and a global zeitgeist moment yeah which you know is just kind of pretty extraordinary I know it's funny actually because it's being repeated on, on Irish TV at the moment and I oh, kind of it? you know it's funny when you watch it again it's still completely kind of compelling and captivating oh, and, you know it's one of the I need to watch it again <laughs> come back to <laughs> yeah. yeah anything you can tell me about conversations with friends do you think it will have the same impact on the cast that are, are going to be performing in that some of them are sort of probably better known than than sort of Daisy and Paul would have been well Paul right. is like you know what was kind of like his first big tv job so mm. but they have got a kind of quite an unknown sort of lead actress for the main part but it's a completely different story I don't know if you read it but it's a very different mm. kind of story so I suppose yeah. it'll find its own kind of audience and way how exciting well do you know when that will be coming out I think it's coming out maybe next year sometime Gosh, yeah, so, wait. I know, I know, I know. It'll be funny because I think, I suppose, when because normal people was such a big hit, it's sort of you know when like anything that's. I mean, it's not a follow up, but I suppose that's what people will think. So, you know, it's kind of going to be interesting to see what the reaction to it is. <laughs> so. Um, as an Ireland destination expert, I wondered first if you'd be able to share with us where you would tell a first time visitor to Ireland to head to first if it was their very first trip? Well I guess I mean obviously Dublin has a huge appeal for for anyone coming to Ireland and it's somewhere that you have to kind of spend a couple of days at least kind of just you know wandering around and you know Dublin kind of creeps up on you sort of like it's beautiful in parts with it's beautiful Georgian architecture and sort of medieval streets and the River Liffey running through it. But I think it's somewhere that you kind of need to spend a bit of time in and just kind of like throw the map away and just kind of wander around. Mm-hmm. So I definitely say, obviously, it's very important to spend a bit of time and just, you know, wander around Trinity, visit some of the museums, get a sense of, you know, the history and culture of the city. And then I'd probably say, because obviously Dublin, one of like the huge assets of Dublin is its kind of proximity to a the sea which it's you know set on but also the countryside you know you can literally be in the Dublin mountains and the Wicklow mountains within 20 minutes of leaving the kind of city limits so Mm. that's um, obviously really great thing to be able to do you know there's lots of amazing day trips you can do and come back to Dublin in the Mm. evening Mm -hmm. so 
I think that's something you really must do is kind of just get out of the city, even if it's just for a day or two. And um, I'd probably say the first place I'd go would be to just explore County Wicklow, which is immediately south of Dublin, which is just a very beautiful county with um, a very long coastline. And then the interior has the Wicklow Mountains. And there's some really beautiful places to see there, one of which I would say would be Glendlock, which is a very kind of uh, historic um, sixth century monastic site, which is kind mm. of set in this beautiful valley that was kind of gashed by a glacier. So there's these two sort of beautiful glacial lakes and then a sort of round tower poking up through the sort of foliage. And it's it's one of uh, Wicklow's national parks. So that's, um, oh, that sounds beautiful. How amazing to have that so near to yeah, the city. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really stunning. Um, and then, you know, there's there's obviously, like everywhere, I suppose, sea swimming has become a huge thing here as well. So, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But there's always been kind of a culture of it because there's, in, there's a, a sort of a suburb of Dublin called Sandy Cove, which is like a beautiful kind of seaside suburb. And there's a Sandy a Cove. Yeah, Sandy Cove. And there's a place called Forty Foot, which used to be kind of men only swimming spot which is kind of mentioned in Ulysses and sort of sort of lots of people swim there and like literally religiously every day it's sort of six in the morning and like literally all through the day now there's people swimming there and then you know you can go out to Bray which is another town sort of south of Dublin or north to kind of Hope and Scaries like there's just so many beaches to choose from and places to swim and so people swim in it all year round they are they wearing wetsuits or no, no, a lot of people just go in on their swimming costumes. It's like wow. even at Christmas, there's a big Christmas Day swim at, at 40 foot. Everyone goes swimming. Well, you know, they're really committed, obviously. But. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah. I mean, I do think that cities that have beaches are definitely my favourites. I wish that we had one here in London. Yeah. And what I would say, which is actually really sort of re- like, economical way to see it is there's a great um sort of commuter line that kind of skirts the coast of dublin bay called the dart which is stands for dublin area rapid transit and it's like a kind of a commuter line from the suburbs but it literally kind of hugs the coast from hope which is a gorgeous like kind of fishing village with you know lots of lovely houses all the way around kind of through dublin city and then south down to greystones and through dorky which is another lovely kind of suburb and Kalini where you know people like Bono from U2 live so you get to see kind of the whole kind of like sweep of Dublin Bay you know which only takes like an hour or two so and you can just hop on and off wherever you fancy so and it's a train yeah it's a train it's it's an overground train but it's um it's a great way to just get out of the city for a little while that's a great um, tip. I, it's amazing, isn't it, how these kind of branch lines, they're kind of a bit of a, a hidden gem, aren't they, in the sense that you can see yeah, so yeah. much. And No, absolutely, yeah. So how about your all-time favourite Irish destination? I suppose Kerry does have a special place in my heart because I've been going there for a long time. It's physically quite far away from Dublin. It takes like four and a half hours to get there. And it just, it sort of feels like a kind of a place apart you know it's like the, it's got Ireland's highest mountain range which is called the McGillicuddy's Weeks and Ireland's highest mountain um, and then there's just this kind of beautiful kind of coming together of the the sea and the mountains and the landscape and then lots of little towns along the way you know coastal towns and then 
lots of the, the lakes of Killarney sort of a little bit inland. And I suppose the Ring of Kerry is obviously a very famous sort of driving route on the Ivera Peninsula. So it's kind of like those five different kind of fingers sticking out in the southwest of Ireland. And um, there's like the Dingle Peninsula, which I know Annie Mack was talking about uh, having visited a few times it Mm -hmm. kind of appeals to everyone I suppose because you've got the kind of like you've got hiking trails you've got the sea so you can go on boat trips you can kayak you can um, there's some really stunning like gardens in that part of the world and then there at the sort of tip of the Barra Peninsula is this really great little cable car that takes you across to this place called Dursey Island so it's it's mm-hmm. the only cable car in Ireland it just kind of literally oh, really? yeah it goes across the, the sort of a, a, a narrow channel um, and people you know you go there and there's a, a nice walking trail and stuff to do there um, but yeah, and Kenmare obviously has amazing restaurants and it's got some great hotels. So, so yeah, it kind of appeals to foodies, you know, um, families, anyone really. So that's definitely somewhere worth putting on the list. Well, actually, speaking of um, great restaurants, great places to eat, I mean, Ireland is is known in particular for having such great food and drink. Uh, is there a particular favorite haunt that you have a favorite restaurant or a favorite bar that you would tell someone coming to Ireland that they must get to if they can yeah it's funny I mean it's the kind of whole food culture here has really kind of exploded Mm. it's been really interesting so I, uh, I was in West Cork a couple of weeks ago and I went to I had probably one of the best meals I've had for a long time in a restaurant called Day Day at the Customs House which is um run by a Turkish chef who came to Ireland a few years ago and he opened the restaurant last year just before COVID struck so he had to close but even having only been open for a couple of months he was awarded a Michelin star um yeah so that was like totally on my that's really hitting the ground running (laughs) it's really interesting because he kind of um he uses sort of Irish produce and he's very passionate about using the like Cork is an amazing place for it's in Baltimore which is a tiny little beautiful coastal village which is very renowned for its kind of sailing and boat general boat culture um and so he uses a lot of Irish local ingredients and fresh seafood but he also kind of infuses them with his great kind of Turkish twist so um God, so yeah, it's amazing. like a really exciting kind of sort of riff on Irish food, and um, his parents sent him spices from Turkey every couple of weeks. So, <laughs> uh, um, so that's wow. yeah, so that was really wonderful. Oh God, I want to go yeah. there now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the other really amazing thing at the completely other end of the scale is, I mean, I know it's been happening in other places too, but the the, the kind of whole food truck culture has totally exploded in Ireland. So, oh really? Yeah. So that's been. And obviously with COVID has kind of uh, sort of sped things up a little bit. But so you get all these kind of amazing food trucks, not just in Dublin. I mean, there's some really good ones in Dublin, but they're kind of popping up all over the countryside now in some of the most remote kind of crazy locations all over. So there's a couple of really great ones, one of which is uh, which is quite well known, but it's still definitely worth a a visit uh, if you're willing to queue, which is called the Misunderstood Heron, which is this tiny kind of food truck on the in the west coast of Ireland in Connemara just on the sort of shores of Killary Fjord which is kind of Ireland's only fjord and that they kind of serve kind of local 
produce and that's got a huge following and then there's another one kind of also in the same neck of the woods called the sea hair which is more of a kind of a pop-up cafe but it sits on a pier Cleggan pier which is in county galway mm-hmm. and then there's a great one in dingle at the back of this like very typical kind of dingle pub called paddy brosnan's bar and at the back they've got this um great like mexican taco truck called mex west um so you can buy your tacos and then go into the bar and get your pint of guinness and sit at a table uh, well i mean if that doesn't sell my lovely listeners on food and drink in Ireland. I don't know what will. I'm like literally thinking, how can I get over there? And how can I try out all of those places already? Yeah, there's another great place I came across in West Cork a couple of weeks ago, which is in a, a lovely town called Bally de Hob, um, which has quite a few great places to eat. But there's somebody's taken over, has like repurposed a petrol station and um, in, uh-huh. into a restaurant. So, and it's obviously kind of suits the Irish weather because the forecourt is obviously covered. So, <laughs> you're yeah, not going to yeah, get rained yeah. on. So, that's called Bali Bia 8. And that's that kind of serves throughout the day. And then they have music in the evening. So, that's been a huge hit and it seems to be booked out all the time at the moment. What great recommendations. Thank you so much. And I mean, all of those are frankly, perfect hidden gems um, in terms of uh, what a hidden gem should be. But I, I know that Ireland has so many hidden gems. Is there, a, is there one in particular that um, you would like to share with us? Ireland's kind of gone really crazy for greenways. I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of a bit of a thing here. So they, a lot of them, there's, there's quite a few disused railway lines all over the country. Um, mm-hmm. And they've been sort of been repurposed as kind of off-road hiking and biking routes so the great western greenway in county mayo was kind of one of the first ones and that's 42 kilometers and it goes between mm-hmm. mulrani and ackle island so that's a hugely popular destination for families and then they've also just in in march of this year they just opened the royal canal greenway which is a 130 kilometer walkway and cycleway along a historic canal between Dublin and County Longford. Wow. I suppose the other places I would say to try and go and see would be um, somewhere like the Aran Islands, which is off the coast of County Galway. Um, Mm -hmm. They're kind of really kind of feel like a real throwback in time. Um, There's sort of three of them and there's Inish, Inish Moor, Inish Sheer and Inish Man. And they're just these very kind of windswept, ravaged kind of islands with beautiful dry stone walls and amazing kind of, there's a beautiful prehistoric stone fort on Inish Moor called Dun Angus, which kind of just overlooks the kind of crashing waves of the Atlantic. Um, mm. So that's kind Can of... Can you stay there? Yeah, you can. You can stay in Inishmore. Um, and also I've stayed Inishman. There's a really amazing place to stay there called Inishman Restaurant and Suites, which is um, a couple. One of them is from Inishman and they, they opened this gorgeous sort of um, purpose-built restaurant with rooms and they use all the kind of local produce and I mean it's truly extraordinary place to go um and it's all it's kind of built to kind of mirror the vernacular architecture and dry stone walls and you just it's like being it's it's really hard to describe but it's just like 
unparalleled experience and it's always booked out because anyone who goes there wants to go back immediately afterwards <laughs> really okay that is amazing I've never heard of it oh yeah I love no, hearing about places like that yeah it's really fab and uh yeah, that, that's really beautiful. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for providing me with so, and all of us, with so much travel inspiration. Ireland is one of the first places that I want to get to um, now that we can travel there again. So um, now I've got a, an endless list of places I want to, to discover um, and I'll, I'll probably be in touch, Aoife. Absolute pleasure and hope you'll get over here soon. Oh, wow. What a deep dive into an incredible island. I hope this episode has inspired you as much as it has me to discover more of Ireland. All the destinations mentioned today by Annie and Aoife are included in the episode show notes and on the TravelDiariesPodcast.com. To find out more about visiting the island of Ireland, head to island.com and check out the travel pages of your favourite newspapers and travel magazines. They're always great resources for the latest travel news, new openings and must-see spots. And to find out who is on next week's episode, the season five finale, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein and as ever, I'd love to hear from you. Have a great week and I'll be back on Tuesday. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels easier even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. 
It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.